Ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Dr. Bailey is going to come, but he wants me to read for him Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry. For the land hath committed great harlotry, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, who conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lohurahamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned, Lohurumah, she conceived and bore a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God. Welcome E.K. Bailey as he comes to preach for us, would you? profession is prophet of the Lord Jehovah. My prophetic ministry took place in the northern kingdom of Israel between 750 and 725 B.C. I have been summoned here by some of your contemporaries to share with you brief excerpts from my biography. I was making my way back home from one of my many 
prophetic crusades. As I descended the heights of Mount Tabor, suddenly I was arrested by a strange and invisible presence. This invisible presence was so mysterious that I was at once both terrified and fascinated. Although rare, this experience was not new to me, having been there before. I knew that I was in the presence of the Eternal. His voice came to me, as it were, riding the bosom of the wind. He said to me, Hosea, I must speak to you concerning the infidelity of my people. You remember our contractual agreement that Israel would be my people and that I would be her God. But now Hosea, because of her apostasy, because of her idolatry, because of her immorality, her goodness is like the morning dew. It had faded away. For she has fractured our friendship, ruptured our relationship. She has allowed strange gods to encroach upon my private domain. As I listened to God that day, his voice was the voice of a man who had experienced excruciating pain. Pain only known to those who have had their love rejected. As I stood at the foot of Mount Tabor, listening to God, I lost all track of time. He allowed me to slip into a kind of altered state of consciousness. Whether in the body or out of the body, God knows. But he took me on a historical voyage and over and over and over again allowed me to see Israel's vacillating commitment and her many adulterous acts with other gods. I prepared myself to hear the worst. Because I just knew God was about to say to me, Hosea, I'm going to annihilate Israel. I'm going to wipe her memory from the annals of history. But to my utter amazement, do you know what he said? He said, Hosea, I will save Judah not by bow, nor by arrow, nor by horseman, nor by sword, but I will save her by the power of my love. I said, God, I'm sure that Israel will be glad to hear that. But what do I have to do 
with all of this. He said to me, Hosea, I want you to get married. I want you to be my daysman. I want you to be my go-between. I want you to be my allegory. I want you to be my living dramatization. I have some things I want to say to my people, and I want to say them through you. But wait, Hosea. Before you go, I need to tell you, he said to me, there are a few slight problems. I listen in at your last crusade. You were knowledgeable, you were eloquent, you were mighty in scripture, but there was something missing. I noticed that you have not yet understood my cosmopolitan concept of salvation. You are yet too narrow and parochial in your perspective. You do not yet understand the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of my love. You do not yet understand the relentlessness of my mercy. Therefore, Hosea, in order to get you ready to represent me, I'm going to send you through the crucible of domestic difficulty. in order to teach you the extent of divine love. Married, I said, that's not so bad. Especially when you have an omnicompetent God personally selecting the bride. That's not so bad. And I said, God, it's, it's amazing to me that that you would uh, mention marriage right alone through here because uh, just the other day I was, I was uh, observing a young lady. Haven't said anything to her father yet, but I, I believe she will make a great prophet's wife. She comes from a strong, traditional, Orthodox Jewish background. She's the, the daughter of a prophet. She comes to all of my crusades. She helps me to pass out Ten Commandment tracts. She'll make a wonderful prophet's wife. God said to me, Hosea, I know the girl about whom you speak. And you are right. She will make somebody. A good wife. But Hosea, she's, she's not the girl that I have in mind. The girl I have in mind does not come out of a strong, orthodox Jewish background. She's not the daughter of a prophet. She's never been to any of your crusades. The girl I have in mind, Hosea, 
is a pagan prostitute. Yes, that's what I said. Yes, she's the one you are to marry. Do I have to tell you how I felt? Do I have to describe the internal conflicting impulses that were warring underneath my skin? Do I have to describe how my pride and my obedience clashed and fought against one another? After I thought about it, I said to God, I cannot disgrace my religion. I cannot dishonor my heritage. I will not commit this infamous act against the people of Judah. I will not place this scandal upon the prophetic fraternity. No! I understand you hold my breath. I understand you can swat me to the backside of eternity, never to be heard from again, but I'd rather die. So I stood up erect at the foot of Mount Tabor, waiting to be run over by death. Decided I'd take death like a man. Come on, let's get it over with, come on. After I had stood there for almost an hour and death had not come, I opened one eye to see if I could see death charging. I opened both eyes and death was nowhere in sight. I tried to ease away from that moment. And while I took a step away from the mountain, God said, the girl's name. is Goma. I said, Goma? Who wants to marry somebody with a name like Goma? He said, I want you to marry. I said, hold on, can we talk a little bit? Maybe, maybe I will, but, but can you just give me some reasons? What am I going to tell my family? What, what will I say to the prophetic fraternity? How will I explain this to the people of Judah? Can you just tell me why and what you are up to? Maybe I will. Then I said, no, Lord, did, didn't you say whatever we do, we're to do to your glory? And I don't know how you're going to get glory out of this. What glory will you have out of a prophet marrying a prostitute? What glory will you have out of piety being united with promiscuity? What glory will you have when there is wretchedness coupled with righteousness? What glory will you have from uh, the sacred having an intercourse with the secular? What glory will you have? When there is the coupling of the perpendicular with the horizontal, what glory will you have 
when there is the uniting of the devilish and the divine. What glory will you have when you bring together the celestial and the terrestrial? What glory will you have? And it was right there that God taught me an invaluable lesson. He said, Hosea, I don't always give a pre-flight itinerary on where I'm going. Now, Jose, you remember when I called you to be a prophet? Yes, sir. I told you then that you were entering with, into with me a partnership. And I told you that in this partnership, I am the senior partner. And as senior partner, I reserve the right to make some decisions without your approval. He said to me, Hosea, I will not subject divine wisdom to the short-sighted scrutiny of human understanding. You make your decision, and then we'll talk. You see, Hosea, I want to know that when you cannot trace my hand, can you trust my heart? When I say follow me, is not a matter of how much sense I make. It's not a matter of how practical I am. It's a matter of how much trust you have in me. You know, I said, okay, I'll do it. And just when I found myself in the path of obedience, it was then that God began to shed light on my understanding. When I said, okay, God, I'll do it. He said, come here. Let me tell you what this is about. He said, now listen. I want to use the prophet and the prostitute in partnership because I want to tell corrupt humanity that God loves the unlovely. He said, I want to dramatize, to deprave humanity that you can break God's heart, but you can never break his love. Tell the collective gomers of history that no man, no woman falls so far that they fall outside of the hand reach of God. Tell them.
Some of you all have been pretty hard on my wife. Sister Goma. <laughs> but I need to remind you of something, and that is Goma is kinfolk. She's not just my wife, she's, she's, she's in the family. Because the blood that ran through Goma's veins was the blood of Adam. And the blood of Adam is the blood of all men. She's kinfolk. Of course, your sin may not be her sin, and her sin not your sin. But listen, your sin is just as obnoxious in the nostrils of God as was that of my wife. Your Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Your Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even now, my heart is pricked. When I think about how that girl tried, you know, no, you don't know. Let me tell you. The girl tried. She really did. I remember one day she came home and she had thrown away all of her old clothes. The girl tried. She had a brand new wardrobe. She got a new hairstyle. She got some new rouge and lipstick. She said, I got to change the time I go down to the village well. I've got to get me some new friends because my old temple friends won't fit in my new prophetic life. The girl tried. But she was caught between an awful pull and a terrible push. Underneath her skin, constantly she was being pulled by the wiles of her old world. Underneath her skin, she was hemmed in by habits and cribbed by customs. Underneath her skin, she was constantly being drawn back to her pre-prophetic way of life. I hate to tell you, but I, I probably had a lot to do with that because that day I called her out of the temple. I shook my finger in her face and I told her, God told me to marry you, but girl, you're going to change your way. And I insisted that she make a commitment to me. But I never taught her how to love him. And when the pressure came, that was that inner pull, but that was also a terrible push. When I look out across audiences like this, so many of you church people of today remind me of those old synagogue folk. They were so self-righteous. 
They always look down their nose at other folk and they never let you forget where you came from. Always bringing up your past and whenever my wife would walk close to the synagogue they'd say it loud enough for her to hear it. There goes that old One day she came home, she said to me, Hosea, if that's what your religion is like, if that's what your God is like, I don't want it. That was an awful pull, but that was a terrible push. They pushed her with the accusations. They pushed her with their ungodly scrutiny. They pushed her. With their vile and obscene words, they pushed her. I remember how it happened and when it happened. And like all departures from God, it never happens all at once. It's bit by bit and little by little. It's never what you experience in your day, a blowout is always a slow leak. The first time it happened, she stayed out all night. The next time it happened, she stayed gone three days. The last time, she just didn't come back. Three months after she was gone, I made my way back up to Mount Tabor. I was hoping I'd find God up there because I had some things I wanted to tell him. When I got up there, God was waiting on me. And I wanted to get mine in first, so I said, God, I told you she was going to do that. He said, hush, Hosea, sit down. Now, where's Goma? I said, where's Goma? I don't know. You got you. I don't know where she is. Ask me where she is. I don't know. He said, how do you feel about it? I said, Goma? Yes. How do you feel about it? I said, you know what she did to me? He said, yeah, I know that, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you, how do you feel about it? I said, don't you know how she embarrassed me? Yes, but that's not what I asked you. I ask you, how do you feel about God, I'm stigmatized, criticized, and ostracized as a lover of illicit women. My profession and prophetic ministry is over. He said, I know that, but that's not what I ask you. I ask you, how do you feel about I said, you want to know how I feel about Goma? He said, yes, tell me, how do you feel about it? I said, God, is, is there anybody else out here other than me and you? I, he said, we're alone. I said, well, maybe I ought to tell you because I guess you already know. I still love her. He said, what did you say? I said, I still love her. In spite of what she's done to you, I still love her. Regardless of the embarrassment, I still love her. 
He said, oh, that's good, Jose. Now you're ready to represent me. Go tell Israel. Tell Israel that God says he doesn't want a divorce. He wants to be reconciled. Tell Israel that I still love her. Tell Israel. Go tell her. Tell her what the prophet said. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I'll heal the land. I'll heal the land. I'll heal the land. You should have seen me running down that mountain, sliding, falling, rolling, getting up, running, sliding, falling, running. And as soon as my feet hit the ground, and I turn to run, he says, one more thing. I said, what now, Lord? He said to me, Jose, now one side of what I was dealing with was the unfaithfulness of an unfaithful wife. But the other side is that I had to deal with the unloveliness of an unforgiving prophet. Uh, huh? He said, I, you see, I have to deal with unfaithfulness, but I also have to deal with an unforgiving spirit. Would you be talking about me? Yes. And then I began to think, as a Jew, we are taught an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever you do to me, I do to you. I'm to get even. And I had a kind of love-hate relationship with my wife. I loved her, but I hated her because of what she had done. And I wanted to get even. I hated her with perfect hatred wanted to get even God said to me you see she needed to be exposed to you but you needed to be exposed to her well, I had problems with that because I understood why wretchedness needed righteousness but I didn't understand that other side and God said when you're just around people who are like you, you really don't know what biases and prejudices and problems are underneath the skin. You don't know if your righteousness is of self. He said, now, when I listen to you, I listen to you and I heard a one-sided theology. You are always talking about my justice. And yes, I am a God of justice. But tell them about my other side. Tell them that I'm a God of mercy. Tell them I'm a God of a second chance. Tell them that I'm also a God of grace. I hear them calling me, so I'm going to have to go shortly. But let me tell you the conclusion of my story. I was at home. And my children were in the tent. 
And I was way out in the cornfield trying to get food for the family. And I heard this slight echo of a voice. And I stepped in the row and I looked and I saw in the distance the silhouette of this man from Judah. And he was waving at me. Jose! I picked up my sack and began to make my way through the stalks up to the tent where he was. And he said, Hosea, I don't know what you can do with this news, but I thought I'd tell you, I just left the marketplace. And you need to know that your wife is being sold as a common slave. I just thought you needed to know, and I went inside the tent, and I got down on my knees, and I talked to Jehovah. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do now? He said, how do you feel about it? I said, I still love her. He said, well, you got to go all of the way with the dramatization. Go! And by her back, I reached up and I put on my prophetic regalia. And I began to walk through the streets of Judah. That man that told me must have told everybody. Because at every cross street, there was a crowd. When I passed the first crowd, I heard them say, there goes Hosea. He's on his way to shake his vindictive finger in the face of his unfaithful wife. I crossed another one, and they said, there goes Hosea. He's on his way to have the last laugh. But they didn't know what was in my heart. When I got to the marketplace, I heard the voice of the auctioneer say, We have a woman here. Her name is Goma. Her profession is a prostitute. Anybody willing to pay the price? I was way back. At, at the rear of the crowd. And I had to suffer the indignities of hearing other men bid on my wife. One man said, five shekels of silver. I said, six. Another one said, eight shekels. I said, seven. I said, nine. Another said, ten. I said, eleven. Another man bid it on my wife and said, fourteen shekels of silver. I said, 15 shekels of homer and a half a barley. The auctioneer said, sold to the highest bid. There she stood naked on that slave auction block. I took off, I took off my regalia. I, I covered her nakedness. And as we walked away, she fell down and she said, thank you, Hosea. I'll be your slave the rest of my life. I said, get up, woman. I, I don't need a slave. What I need is a wife. My children don't need a slave. What they need is a mother. Get up. I've got to go now. But now I come to the sermon.
because you see, my story was to only get you ready to hear about another love story. If you think my story is something, uh, I came to tell you about a greater love story. Yes, I love my wife, but there is one whose love was so great that he laid down his life. It started way back in the eons of history when man sinned and justice stood up and said, let the wages of sin be death. Jesus chimed in and said, yes, but let the gift of God be eternal life. God told justice to go down and sit down on Calvary. Just to sit down on Calvary. Jesus started making his way. He came down through 42 generations. And when justice got tired thinking that Jesus would never show up, somebody said, I think I see somebody. Ezekiel said, yes, he looks like a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Job said, I think I see him. He looks like a horse. Amos said, he looked like a plumb line. Daniel said, he looks like a rock hewed out of a mountain. He got there that Friday. You know about that Friday. That Friday. When he put a cross on his shoulder. Marched up Golgotha. And when he hung there. The S-U-N covered his face. Because the S-O-N was shining too bright. I'll tell you about this love story. He gave his back to the cross. He gave his feet to the rivets. He gave his hands to the nail. He gave his mother to John and he gave his spirit to his father. He dropped his head in the locks of his shoulders, gave up the ghost, and he did die. But that's not the end of the story. Never stop that. I said he did die. He died for our redemption. He was buried for our forgiveness. But God raised him for our justification. Glory! Glory! And that's his story. 